Good evening, everybody. What a subject we have. We're going to be diving deep into trying to understand who God is and then his will for us. It's going to require us to apply our brains and bring to this subject maybe more thought than normally we would do. And I think through the presentations that we've got tonight, we're going to be helped to understand more of the fullness of God's will rather than maybe just a simple consideration of it. I'd like you to turn with me to Matthew 26. Matthew 26, we're going to take a few uh, verse readings from this if you have a Bible. Uh, by all means follow, if not, then just listen. Uh, Matthew 26 should really be read in its entirety, but we don't have the time for that. So we're going to take selected readings, and then you might want to keep it open just to refer to uh, later as we say something about it in due course. Matthew chapter 26, verse 1. Now when Jesus had finished saying all these things, he said to his disciples, As you know, the Passover is two days away, and the Son of Man will be handed over to be crucified. Then the chief priests and the elders of the people assembled in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, and they schemed to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. Then go down to verse 14, please. Then one of the twelve the one called Judas Iscariot, went to the chief priests and asked, What are you willing to give me if I deliver him over to you? So they counted out for him thirty pieces of silver. From then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, Where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? He replied, Go into the city to a certain man and tell him, The teacher says, my appointed time is near. I am going to celebrate the Passover with my disciples at your house. Verse 31. Then Jesus told them, this was after he'd had his meal. Then Jesus told them, this very night you will all fall away on account of me, for it is written. I will strike the shepherd and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. Then verse 36, and this will be our main focus. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground and prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Then he returned to the disciples and found them sleeping. Couldn't you men watch with me for one hour? He asked Peter. Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. My sp the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. He went away a second time and prayed. My father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. When he came back, he found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. So he left them and went away once more and prayed the third time, saying the same thing. Then he returned to the disciples and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Look, the hour has come, and the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. 
Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? In that hour Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. So what is God's will for my life? The wise man who wrote the Proverbs, with the help of God, said this, Many are the plans in a person's heart, but it is the Lord's purpose that prevails. God does not give us detailed knowledge about our futures and everything that is in them. He gives us a grand look as to what he has promised and there are things in scripture that are absolutely set in stone that believers in the Lord Jesus Christ can look forward to. But the specifics of the things of our lives are not given to us as we look at scripture. He doesn't fully explain why he does what he does. If you think about it, he has every right not to tell us that because of who he is. He's God. He is the one who made us. There is an infinite um, difference between the one who made everything and everything else that has been made. We have to keep that in mind in our subject tonight. But it doesn't stop us asking legitimate questions about how God's purposes impact our lives. And in particular, maybe the, those major life-shaping decisions and the questions that we might have as we go through life. Um, what job should I take or what career will I pursue? Uh, where should I live? Um, am I to marry? And if I'm to marry, then who might my marriage partner be? And, and other things that are, are major decisions in life. We ask questions and we want to know as Christians from God what is best and the challenge for us then for tonight is to see that God has a grand scheme and that's my task and we bow in awe of what it is that God is doing but realize as well he gives us instructions and Dave's going to take us there to live day by day as we seek guidance from him God operates in ways that are beyond our ways of operating just track with me on this a little, if you will. He's not confined to space and time. And he does not act with objects in the same way that we act with objects. God is self-existent. God is self-sufficient. And God is self-determining. There is nothing that influences God. He is who he is. We're different. Now, we usually think about God causing things in the same way that we cause things which is usually in a linear fashion because we're constrained to space and time and things happen in an order that doesn't apply to God so in this whole subject if we come with that sort of thinking 
we're bringing our human limitations to apply to the subject and that <coughs> limits who God is and we should be careful not to restrict God's operation by our limited understanding now let me say this I think a careful reading of scripture shows us that God's eternal purposes are unstoppable they're unchangeable and that these purposes involve our decisions and our choices and our actions and their outcomes. The challenge is how to understand that. God is working out everything as it should be. According to his good plan. We'll say more about that in a moment. And it's not despite our choices. It's not as though he's reacting to the things that we decide. But it's actually through our choices and resulting actions and their outcomes. You get that? Yeah? So he's not reacting. What we responsibly choose and decide to do is within God's sovereign purposes. And he's working out his plan. Difficult to get our minds around, but that's where we're at. Our decisions and our actions and their outcomes are part of God's plan. Now, there are some non-negotiables we have to say about God before we go any further in this. Because in this subject, it quite often leads to fiery debate. But the scriptures are clear as to who God is. And we can only touch on a few of these. We give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. As the psalmist said, his love endures forever. Psalm 136, verse 1. God is good. Moses, Deuteronomy 32, said this. Oh, praise the greatness of our God. He is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just, is he. Our God is perfect. God is just. He makes no mistakes. Romans chapter 8 and verse 28 is so often brought into this whole subject, but it is very relevant and we do well to spend a little time on it. God is working out his eternal purpose, which involves his eternal purposes, according to his grand plan, because of who he is. And the remarkable thing for us as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ is that he has shown us that it's for our eternal good though we're undeserving of it. And it's for his <coughs> eternal glory. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. Start into one of the greatest chapters in all of the Bible. It says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. <clears throat> so his purpose is in that. And it's all for the good of those who love him, who've been brought to see who he is. Now I want to say something about God's sovereign will here and this is really my element of exploring God's will it's like standing back as far as we can which we can't because God is bigger than we can stand back and seeing something that is, is just huge from beginning to end which also doesn't work because God is eternal but we're taking the white lens here God's eternal purposes are what he has decided to do because he is sovereign over everything Sovereign means that 
he has continued gracious care for his creation and governance over it. Also in the book of Deuteronomy, as Moses was encouraging the people of Israel who are about to go into the promised land, God had said, that's your end point. Things happened on the way that seemed to stall it, but this was all in God's plan. And they're going in, they're not going to know exactly what every day is going to hold for them. But God has said, we're going to drive out the nations and you're going to possess it. What that looks like day to day, not clear. So God tells us things on the grand scale quite often and we have to step into them day by day to experience them. But this is what he said, this is important. The secret things belong to the Lord. This is Moses who spent personal face time with God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever that we may follow all the words of this law. So Moses has just recounted the law that God had given to govern the people of Israel. And he says, look, God has secret things and he's not telling us about them. They belong to him. They're his. But what he does tell us in terms of instruction is for us to pass on and to live out. And Dave's going to take us there in a moment, I hope. Private property. No trespassing. God's sovereign or our sovereign God's decrees are the things that he has set in place. And he reveals something of them to us in the scriptures. But not everything because we cannot compute how God manages everything that happens in the universe. It's just beyond us. So we have to come to a point of acknowledging who God is and worshipping him and saying, all right, you're greater than us. Thank you. And I will trust you with what you have shown me. God had also instructed the people of Israel, if we use them as an example in Leviticus chapter 19 and 20 and also in Deuteronomy 18, very severe instruction against people who would be fortune tellers. Those that would go into spiritism and so on. Uh, don't do it. In fact, you take those people out. You remove them. One of the most serious um, punishments for, for sin among the people of Israel is, is private property. You don't trespass. Steer clear and accept who God is. Now, God's decrees, if we can use that word, a decree is a, is a decision about something that, that is lasting, is his decrees are unchangeable. I've already said that. It's because God himself is unchanging. I, the Lord, do not change, he said. God is not affected or influenced or coerced by anything outside of himself. We're really struggling here, aren't we? But this is our God. We're used to being coerced. Even when we think we have free will, come on to that in a moment, there still is influence. That means that our choices really are still a coercion. Now, let me illustrate this. You might have heard the phrase, if you uh, read the Bible at all, or it's even sometimes used in common parlance, uh, the decrees of the Merds and Pisians. <laughs> the Medes and Persians. <laughs> there you go. That's, that's one for the, for the archives. So then, let me try that one again. You've heard of the decrees of the Medes and Persians, yeah? I can't even remember what I said, but it was amusing. Now then, stick with me. We needed something to lighten this up. Um, You've heard that phrase, something is set in stone, is effectively what it is, yeah? Now that actually comes from the scriptures. You go back to Daniel 6 and 15, and there's that reference made to it. 
something that is decided by the sovereign ruler over the Babylonian Empire at that time, Medes and the Persians, and it was set in stone. Now, it would never be repealed. Now, you go to the book of Esther, just as an example, and there's a decree that is put out that says, go and annihilate the Jews. And then there comes another decree later in the book that says the Jews are allowed to defend themselves. It's because the sovereign ruler had been, in a sense, duped into issuing the decree to get rid of the Jews, realised the folly of that and said, oh, we can't undo it, so I'll have to do something that, in a sense, balances it out. Now, so a decree stands. Same thing with God, but God makes no mistakes. So he never has to issue another decree to balance out something that he might have got wrong. If our God makes mistakes, then we might as well just give up. God works and acts on objects and situations and causes things to happen. As well as what we see from scripture, I think, is permitting the unrestrained agency or action of his creatures to achieve his eternal purposes. So he acts positively or he permits on occasions that which he does not desire. We'll leave that one to Dave. Matthew 26, you're wondering why on earth did we read this? Let's go through this. Jesus knows from the beginning of that chapter all the way through of the inevitability of his betrayal, his abandonment by his disciples, of his crucifixion, his burial, and ultimately his resurrection. He knows that is what is said. It's in the eternal decrees of God that this is going to happen. They will happen because God has set them in stone. At the same time we've read, just briefly, that you have Caiaphas and the Jewish religious leaders and they link up with the political leaders which would be Pilate and the Romans and you have Judas and you have the disciples. Some of them are involved in conniving and um, they're, they're just getting together to scheme and to plot and others are just reacting to circumstances and making decisions like the disciples to run away. You see that Jesus has this knowledge that God has a grand plan. But yet Matthew masterfully in chapter 26 keeps this tension going all the way through of how there is this grand plan. You need to read the rest of the chapter to see it. At the same time as people are making responsible decisions and actions that impact their everyday lives and eventually end up with Jesus and his crucifixion. Now this brings us to the challenging topic of God's sovereignty and human responsibility. That God is sovereign over all things at all times. He has ultimate control of everything according to who he is and his eternal plan. But at the same time, the scriptures make it clear. Throughout the scriptures, we see God being sovereign, but we see human beings making responsible decisions for which there are consequences and outcomes and for which they are held accountable. Now, we like to discuss this as either or. Which is it? The two go together. We can't reconcile them in our thinking properly, but they go together and they run through Scripture. That God is sovereign and people have, are making all the time responsible decisions and choices. And we see that in Matthew chapter 26. If you come to Acts, 
after Jesus has been crucified and has given his life for sinners and he's been buried and he's been raised and he's gone back to heaven, then the disciples go out. On the first day that they start preaching, Peter stands up in Acts chapter 2. Notice the tension, but notice both together. Jesus was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge and you, accusing the Jews and the Jewish leader, you put him to death. God's sovereignty, human responsibility. Acts chapter 4 we see the disciples gathering for prayer because um, there's a need for it. And they pray to the sovereign Lord, it says. Herod and Pilate met with the Gentiles and with the people of Israel to conspire against your holy servant Jesus. That's what we read. They were active in that. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. There are the two things working together. God's sovereignty plus human responsibility. Now this... In the matter of Matthew 26, and as we're trying to grapple with this, raises some natural questions. Could the cup have been taken away because we've been with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane? Uh, did Judas have a choice? Now, these things impact us as well. Because does this mean that God's will is unchangeable or changeable? And does it mean that everybody will be saved, nobody will be saved, or who will be saved? These are the sort of questions that we have to try and tackle. Could the cup be taken away? Jesus prayed first. My Father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me, yet not as I will, but as you will. Did you notice the change? He comes back, and the second time, and verse 44 tells us the third time, he went back and said, My Father, if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. Now the cup was a description of the wrath of God against sin. That God the Son had come into humanity to absorb into himself so that sinners could be forgiven for their sins by believing that he was the one who satisfied God's wrath. Notice that Jesus, who is fully God and fully man, at the same time, the person Jesus, goes knowing what God's grand plan is, but at the same time is saying, is there another way? Because this is just horrific to contemplate. He gets the answer. And he goes back, he says, if it is not possible, it's not resignation to the fact, this is um, affirming that God's sovereign will must be done. So that's an important shift that we see in Matthew chapter 26. That Jesus, the person, God and man, comes knowing what God's plan is, but comes in the reality of what that's going to mean for him, and he comes and he submits himself obediently to do the will of God as a man. We have that there to delight. Notice also something else. Jesus said to them, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen this way? Peter, you're trying to take somebody's head off and you've just taken their ear off. Um, look, the scriptures have said it's going to happen this way. Now this wasn't just that... Um, Prophecy was God seeing down the tunnel of time and saying, oh, that's going to happen, so I'll, I'll, I'll write about it. God knows all things at all times. So God does not know nothing. Do, not, yeah, God does not know nothing. What, what does that make even sense? I, I, I'm, my words are not, now not working. Let's move on. Um, you get my point. That God has written prophecy because it's part of his plan. It's there. And Jesus knew it, and he knew it would be fulfilled. Now he went through 
Because there was a joy, and that involves us. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. What can we learn from this? That sometimes there are things that we cannot know. We're not Jesus, so we cannot know everything about the details of the outworking of God's great plan. But what we do know is that God is working out a good thing for us and for our joy and for his glory. And when we can understand it, we bow and worship and we live an obedient life. And Dave's going to take us there in just a moment. What about Judas? Did he have a choice? What about my friends and family that I'm concerned about that I wonder if they're, if they're saved? Are they going to be saved? Um, are we mere puppets? All of these questions come in and we just don't have the time to deal with it. But very quickly, none of us exercises free will in the way that we normally bandy around the term free will. We normally think of free will as uh, completely uncoerced decision making. But we are always affected by internal and external influences. We're not really people who make a free will decision. There's always something that constrains us given the options of the circumstance. God's ultimate will, his sovereign will that he is working out, involves a complex system of decision-making individuals. And that system is just beyond our capacity, and we must respect him and leave him to do it. Now in that, God has made some decisions. We cannot know who will be saved and who will not be saved. That's God's private, no trespassing domain. That's what scripture tells us. I've put this text on the left it there for a while because Paul gets there in Romans chapter 9. And he's grappling with it himself and he's trying to outline it. And he quotes something that the Lord had said in Exodus 33 to Moses. He said, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And then Paul goes on to say, it does not therefore depend on human desire or effort but on God's mercy. Therefore God has mercy on whom he wants to have mercy. Now that doesn't sit well with us because we like to have control. But God is in ultimate control. He will have mercy on whom he has mercy. Now that does not absolve us as Christians of doing what we must. And God has commanded us to share the good news of the gospel with people. And we can pray that those people would be saved. Not knowing whether they will or they won't because God has not told us if they will. But we can be confident that if we're sharing the gospel and we're praying about things, that God's will will be done. He's good, perfect, and just. My conclusion, our good and perfect God is working all things for the glory of his name and the good of his chosen elect ones. And this involves our decisions and our actions and their outcomes. Brian quoted this verse, according to the plan of him who works everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we might be for the praise of his glory. The bits in yellow relating to God. It's his plan. He's working it out. Everything fits together according to his purpose and it is for the praise of his glory. We do well to step back and say, wow, what a God. 